This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Legend of the Bones. Following in the footsteps of giants, Legend of the Bones is a chimera, a mix of old-school tabletop RPG and dark fantasy storytelling. As its name might suggest, in Legend of the Bones, the dice rule. There'll be no rerolls, no fudging the dice, no metacurrency. The roll of the bones will determine the character's destiny, and no one will be spared their fate. None shall escape the destiny of bone. Last time on Legend of the Bones, the party consisting of Beric the Fighter, Lena the Cleric, and Keir the Rogue ventured into a sea cave in search of a way up and out of the cove. The cave led to a large water-filled cavern, where the characters found a man bound and gagged to a stake driven into the waterline. Before they were able to help the man, the party was attacked by a giant crab. In the fights that followed, Lena half-blinded the creature with a flaming torch before Beric finished it with his dagger. Realising how lucky they'd been, the party rescued the bound man, who introduced himself as Valen, a mage. We learnt that mages are viewed with the best suspicion, and at worst as witches and heretics. Valen relayed how the cave leads up to his master's laboratory, and how they had recently been attacked by religious zealots known as the Brethren of the Purifying Light, who murdered his master. Valen fled to the caves hoping to escape, but was caught and beaten by the Brethren before being bound to the stake to drown. Valen led the party up to the laboratory, explaining that his master's home was an abandoned lighthouse. We left the party as they were about to enter the laboratory, wondering whether they may be confronted by the Brethren. Chapter 2 Part 1 Day 1 Afternoon Party Status Beric 9 out of 9 hit points Lena 6 out of 6 hit points Kia 4 out of 4 hit points Valen 4 out of 4 hit points Beric burst through the door into the laboratory Valen, Kia and Lena quick on his heels there was no one there, but the octagonal room had been completely ransacked. A large workbench in the centre of the room had been overturned, a myriad of bottles and jars had been smashed, the multicoloured powders and liquids spilt over the flagstone floor. The bookcases which lined the walls had their contents scattered about. Across the room, a wooden staircase led to the floor above. An iron chandelier hung from the ceiling rafters. The candles were extinguished, but bright daylight filtered through a small lancet window on the east wall. Beric moved to the window which looked out over rolling moorland. In the distance he spotted a group of horsemen riding away, the sunlight glinting off their helms and spears. He thought he counted a dozen or so. His attention was brought back to the room by Valen. The mage was searching frantically among the scattered books and parchments, muttering to himself in a strange language. I'm going to rule that as his most important possession, Valen would have had his spellbook with him in the laboratory. The brethren have taken or destroyed anything obviously magical, but I'm going to give a 20% chance that they have missed Valen's spellbook. 
Here is the roll on a D100. 19. Well, the luck of the bones is still with the party. Now is probably a good time to explain a few of my house rules when it comes to magic. Some of the spells listed in the basic expert rules for first level magic users don't fit well into my game, or I feel are too punitive. For example, there's no read magic spell in Legend of the Bones. All mages have the ability to read magical runes. It's one of the first skills they learn. Likewise, there's no detect magic spell. Mages have an innate attunement to magic, which allows them to sense it. However, the specific powers cannot be determined. A handful of other spells I have replaced with homebrew alternatives. You can find a full list of first level spells I am using at legendofthebones.blogspot.com as well as descriptions of my homebrew spells. Feel free to use these in your own games. Valen's randomly rolled spell is Push, one of my homebrews. The spell Push allows the caster to conjure a significant invisible force, pushing the target back 1d8 yards. Any collision the target has with hard objects causes 1d4 points of damage. A further roll is made to determine whether the target has been knocked prone. The caster can target inanimate objects as well as living creatures, but the spell has reduced effects against targets more than twice the size of the caster. Okay, let's see whether Valen has used his spell escaping the brethren. I'm going to make a simple high-low roll on a d20. An 11 or more will mean that Valen has not cast his spell, and therefore it's still available to him. Here is the roll. A 20. Okay, Valen still has his spell available. I think that's enough for now. I'll explain more magic house rules as they come up, but if you're curious you can find a complete description of the spell push, plus all my house rules at legendofthebones.blogspot.com. Let's get back to the story. Valen sighed in relief as he picked up the familiar tome. He ran his fingers over the embossed leather before flicking through the pages. Everything seemed in order. No pages were missing. He dared not think about what he would have done if the record of his life of study had been lost. He had found the spellbook under the overturned workbench when Beric and Lena had set it upright. It probably explained how the brethren had missed it when they ransacked the room. Silently, he thanked his ancestors. Lena, meanwhile, had found a torn map among the scattered parchments and scrolls and laid it out on the workbench. Valen, can you tell us where we are? Valen and Beric joined the novitiate. Ah yes, this map shows the peninsula which forms part of the realm of Pau and Mor. We are here. Valen put his finger on the map at the most westerly point of land. To find passage on a ship, you'll need to go to the city of Porth Cullen, but that is over 200 miles from here. Valen tapped a place on the map on the north coast of the peninsula, close to a mountain range which marked the eastern border of Pau and Moor. The nearest town is Howlstone. That is a five-day walk over the Tain Moor. The journey over the moors can be treacherous though. It is a wild place. We don't have much choice, Beric replied. Suddenly Keir hissed at them. The rogue held a finger to his lips. There's someone upstairs. Dramatis Personae Kier Kier is a human rogue, level 1. He is 18 years old, with light brown hair and grey eyes. His patchy beard is scruffy. He has a slim build, standing at 5 foot 9 and weighing 130 pounds. Kier has the easy charm of someone who is used to talking their way out of trouble. 
In truth, he wrestles with his conscience. He has done things that he is not proud of. Conversely, he tells himself that it is a cruel world in which you have to do what you must to survive. Keir was born in the coastal city of Godsport. He never knew his father. His mother, a washerwoman, used to tell him that his father was a sailor who went to sea and never returned. They were poor, living in the slums, and as a boy Keir would spend hours foraging for mussels, crab and seaweed around the harbour to keep them fed. Once a week, Keir's mother would send him to the Chapel of Solace, where the Sisters of the Nine would give alms and healing, as well as teach those who were willing to read. One of the order, Sister Agatha, took a liking to Keir. She would secretly give him a pot of honey when he came, which he would devour whilst she told him fantastical stories of far-off lands with strange people and even stranger names. When Keir was 12 years old, his mother died, taken by the winter fever. Evicted from his home and too old to go to the orphanage, Keir lived on the streets, and as such he quickly fell into petty crime, mostly stealing food from market stalls and robbing the recently deceased. That was until he was caught picking the pocket of a man called Silas, a local gang leader. Silas gave the young Keir a choice, go to the bottom of the harbour with a chain wrapped around his neck, or work for him. It was not much of a choice. As a member of Silas's gang, Keir found that he was no longer hungry and homeless, but he was expected to engage in more than petty theft. At first he was a lookout when the gang were robbing the houses of the city's rich merchants, creating diversions for the watch, or couriering goods to fences. But as he grew into a young man, Silas noticed that Keir was quick-witted and a smooth talker, and put him to work on more subtle hustles. Keir became adept at winning the confidence of his victims. Usually naive folk arriving at the city from whom he would elicit money for accommodation that did not exist, or a rich widow who would fall for his charm and agree to pay some imaginary debt. For a time life was good. He had clothes on his back, a roof over his head and a coin to spend. But that wasn't to last. Despite his misdemeanours, Keir continued to visit Sister Agatha. He would go to the Chapel of Solace to talk with her, put a few coins in the collection pot and even help in the soup kitchen. He would look at the folk receiving arms and know that these were his people. Leaving the chapel after one visit, he was confronted by Silas. The gang leader was leant against a wall in an alleyway opposite, nonchalantly cleaning his fingernails with his dagger. He was a brute of a man, with shaggy black hair and a pockmarked face. He half grinned, half sneered at Keir, his mouth a ruin of yellow stumps. Oi! Silas called. Keir looked around to check no one was watching before walking over. I had me eye on you, he said accusingly. So? Keir retorted. I've seen you with that priest, and I. What of it? Keir asked. Well, it's got me thinking, ain't it? The temple's minted. They got gold and silver coming out their ears. What are you getting at, Silas? Keir demanded a little impatiently. Remember who you're talking to? Silas snarled. You're going to get your little friend to meet you. Somewhere quiet-like. And when she does... Me and the boys will grab her. The temple will pay well to get her back. And if they don't, well, then we'll send her back, one piece at a time, until they do. Silas grinned. Forget it, Silas. I ain't doing it. Keir turned to walk away, but Silas grabbed the young man and threw him against the wall, before pushing his dagger up against the rogue's throat. You'll do as you're damn well told, or it's not too late to find yourself at the bottom of the harbour. Get it? The blade pressed harder and Keir could feel a trickle of blood running down his neck. 
Silas suddenly relaxed his grip and sheathed the dagger. He straightened Kier's clothes and gently tapped the young man's face with his hand. You know what you need to do. There's a good lad. With that, Silas sauntered off down the street. Kier agonised. What was he going to do? He wandered the streets. He was tormented. How could he betray Agatha? How could he endanger the only person who had shown him kindness? There was one thing taking advantage of folk for a few coins, but this? He walked, not knowing what to do, or where to go. He wasn't even aware of where he was going, until he found himself at his familiar haunt, the harbour. The docks were a hive of activity, people coming and going, passengers boarded and alighted from vessels, whilst overseers shouted orders at dock workers, lugging crates and barrels from warehouse to ship and vice versa. Sailors congregated in and around the many waterside taverns, as painted prostitutes of all genders sought to entice them to spend their coin. Kier stopped at a ship whose figurehead was that of a fish-tailed woman. The ship's mate was on the dockside, his back to Kier, talking to a big man with a scarred face. Kier looked up at the ship. No one was visible on deck. The big man seemed engrossed in conversation, and everyone was caught up in their own business. Kier resolved himself, took a breath, and casually walked up the gangplank. In the last episode, I mentioned a role on a simple yes-no Game Master Oracle. That role indicated that some of the brethren were still in the tower, but now I need to flesh that out. The Oracle uses a D6 with the results as follows. A 1 indicates no but, 2 a straight no, 3 no and, 4 indicates yes but, this was the role that told me that some of the brethren were still in the tower. A roll of 5 is a straight yes, and a roll of 6 is yes and. So to flesh out the situation, I'm going to ask a couple of questions and let the oracle give me the answers. Here we go. First, I'm going to determine how many of the brethren remain in the tower. There were around 20 to start with, so I'm going to roll 2d6. Here's the roll. Okay, there are six remaining. So now a question for the oracle. Are any of the brethren wounded or dead? The result? Five. That's a straight yes. Okay. So off mic, I'm going to roll a d6 twice for each of the brethren. The first roll will be their maximum hit points. The second roll will be how many hit points they have lost. Therefore, if the second roll is the same or greater than the first, it will indicate death. Finally, I'm wondering whether this rearguard of the brethren were injured by some kind of trap as they pillaged the tower. Here's the roll in the oracle. A five. That's a straight yes. I also rolled a hear noise check for Kier off mic to see whether our rogue could detect the brethren in the floor above. That roll indicated a success. Okay, I think that's enough dice rolling for now. Let's get back to the story. Chapter 2. Part 2. Day 1. Afternoon. Party status. Beric. 9 out of 9 hit points. Lena, 6 out of 6 hit points. Kia, 4 out of 4 hit points. Valen, 4 out of 4 hit points. Spells available. Valen has memorized Push. Kia beckoned the others to him with one hand whilst pressing a finger to his lips with the other. Beric, Lena, and Valen all moved silently to the foot of the stairs and they looked up at the heavy oak door. 
voices, Kia whispered. How many? Nina asked. Maybe six? Hard to say. Six. I don't like those op- Before Beric could finish his sentence, there was an explosion on the floor above. The wall shook and the wooden door at the top of the stairs was blown open. No time! Come on! Beric led the charge up the stairs and through the open portal. The room above had been completely destroyed by the force of the explosion. Furniture had been thrown across the room, books and other flammable objects burned. The stonework around the windows in the east and west walls had been blown out. The source of the explosion, a large chest against the south wall, was nothing but a splintered shell. Smoke filled the air and there was an overwhelming smell of sulphur and cooked meat. Five men lay scattered about the room. Two were motionless, the exposed flesh of their faces and hands blackened and charred. The others, each clad in mail and a white tabard with the emblem of the sun emblazoned on the chest, were picking themselves off the floor. Entering Combat I am going to rule that the party are not surprised, but the brethren may well be. Given the disorientation the brethren will be suffering, I am going to apply a minus one to the roll. Here it is. A four. The brethren are not surprised. Round one. Initiative. The brethren. A three. The party. A five. The brethren are slow to react and the party takes advantage. Beric closes in on the nearest man. The brethren are wearing male shirts which give them an armor class of 14. Remember, I'm using the optional rule of ascending armor class. So with Beric's strength bonus, he needs a 12 or more to hit. Here is the roll. An eight. Beric lunges at the man. His dagger rips the tabard but glances off the male coat. Lena runs forward, swinging her torch at another brethren. But with a four, the man easily avoids her strike. Kira attacks the third brethren. A ten is not enough. Smoke gets in the young man's eyes and he swipes at thin air. Balin is last into the room. A fourth man is running down the stairs from the floor above. He carries a warhammer. Balin tries to cast the spell Push. Magic in Legend of the Bones is difficult and dangerous. Unlike the basic expert rules, where magic users automatically cast spells they have memorised, in Legend of the Bones, a successful intelligence check is required to cast a spell. This represents the mage reciting the correct words and gestures. A roll of natural one will result in the mage channeling additional magical power, which will overcharge the spell. A roll of natural 20 will result in a mage miscasting. In either of these events, I will roll on a custom overcharge and miscast table. These tables can be found at legendofthebones.blogspot.com. Valen's intelligence is 15. Here is his casting roll. A 12. Valen throws an invisible force at the man who is thrown off his feet and slams into the wall for... 4 points of damage. The force of the impact snaps the man's neck and he slumps to the floor in a crumpled heap. Now the brethren attack. The first is armed with a short sword. He swings at Beric. He needs a 10 or more. But with a roll of 3, the fighter easily dodges. The second brethren is also armed with a short sword. He attacks Lena, needing a 10 or more. The roll. A 12. 4. 5 points of damage. The brethren slashes Lena across the midriff. Lena has just one hit point remaining and is grievously wounded. The third brethren wields a barbed mace. He needs an 11 to hit Kier. The roll. A 4. The man is off balance as he rises from the ground and cannot connect a blow. Round 2. 
Initiative. The Brethren. A one. The party. A one. Both sides will act simultaneously. The first Brethren attacks Beric. He needs a ten or more. But a six is not good enough. Beric closes the distance and grabs the man's sword arm with his free hand. The second Brethren swings his short sword at Lena. He needs to equal or beat her armor class of ten. A three. Lena easily evades the strike. The third Brethren attacks Kier with his mace. He needs an 11 or more to hit. A 16! Maces deal 1 to 6 points of damage and Kier only has 4 hit points. This roll will be life or death for our rogue. Here's the roll. A 3. The man brings his mace down on Kier's shoulder. There is a sickening crunch and the rogue staggers. Now the party. Remember this happens at the same time as the Brethren's attacks. Beric stabs with his dagger. He needs a 12 or more to hit. The roll. A 3. As Beric catches the man's sword arm and stabs forward, the man does the same. The two men are now locked in a struggle. As Lena dodges the second brethren's sword, she thrusts her torch forward. She needs a 14 to hit. Nat 20! Excuse the pun, but Lena is on fire wielding that torch. The man only had two hit points remaining, so no need to roll additional damage. Lena's torch sets the man's tabard alight, and the man is quickly consumed in flame. He screams and falls to the floor. He writhes in agony for a moment, and then is still. Kier with his dagger held in reverse strikes low at the man's thigh. The roll? A ten. The man pulls his leg out of the way just in time. Valen goes to assist Kier with his dagger. But with a five, he cannot get there in time. Round three. Initiative. The brethren? A five. The party? A four. The brethren will strike first. Having lost half their number, I'm going to make a morale check for the two remaining brethren. They have a morale of ten. Here is the roll on 2d6. A four. The sight of Valen enrages the two fanatics. They will fight to the death. The brethren fighting Beric tries to turn the fighter's own blade against him. He needs a ten or more. The roll. A twelve. Four. Four points of damage. The man forces Beric's arm down and the dagger slices across the fighter's thigh. Beric has five hit points remaining. Having wounded Kier, the second brethren now turns to meet Valen with the backstroke of his mace. Valen's armor class is ten. The roll. A twelve. As with Kier, Valen only has four hit points, so this next roll could mean death for our mage. The roll on a d6. Another three. The mace crashes into Valen's side, knocking the mage off his feet and sending him crashing to the floor. Valen has just one hit point left. The party's turn. Things are looking grave. The battle has turned against the companions. They really need some lucky rolls here. Beric needs a 12 or more to hit his enemy. Here is the roll. A 19. Four. One point of damage. Plus his strength bonus, that's three points of damage in total. As the dagger slashes his own thigh, Beric uses all of his strength to turn the blade back at the man, thrusting it upwards. The blade splits the male rings and slides into the man's stomach. The man releases his sword and blood spurts from his mouth. He stares horrified at Beric for a moment and then falls to the ground. Lena, meanwhile, picks up the warhammer dropped by the man coming down the stairs and rushes to support Kier and Valen. She needs a 14 to hit. But with a 6, she just cannot get there this round. Kier is badly wounded but the man is exposed having turned his back to attack Valen. 
Kia lunges with his dagger. He needs a 14 to hit. An 18. Four. Three points of damage. Kia rises up and strikes the brethren in the side. His dagger slides between the man's ribs. He screams in pain and ribbons of blood gout as Kia stabs repeatedly until the man falls to the floor twitching and is then still. Chapter 2 Part 3 Day 1 Afternoon Party status Beric 5 out of 9 hit points Lena, 1 out of 6 hit points Kia 1 out of 4 hit points Valen 1 out of 4 hit points Spells available There are no spells available Despite his own wound Beric carried each of his companions in turn up to the bedchambers on the next level. He lay Kier and Valen together on the bed in one room and Lena in the other. Searching through a trunk in the main chamber, he found some clean linen sheets. These he tore into strips and after cleaning their wounds with a little water from his skin, he bandaged them as best he could before attending to himself. Whilst his companions slept, Beric searched the dead. The undamaged equipment consisted of three mail coats, a longsword, two short swords, a mace, a warhammer, a shield which he found leaning up outside, and 78 silver shillings. The men's horses, however, had bolted after the explosion and were nowhere to be found. Beric pushed the brethren's bodies over the cliff into the rocky water below, but he dug a grave for Valen's master and laid the shriveled and blackened body to rest in the earth. By an outbuilding along the north wall, Beric discovered a rain barrel, and inside two barrels of ale loaves of bread, cheese, salted herring, and a leg of mutton. He also discovered a small vegetable garden to the south of the tower, in which grew carrots, onions, and cabbage. The companions would need several days of rest in order to heal, but at least in that time, they would not starve. In the days that would follow, Raylan found that the brethren had taken everything of value. The mage had hoped to recover his master's spellbook, but the tome was missing, along with scrolls and his master's prized possession, a golden amulet with a diamond set in the centre. On the fifth day, the companions packed their equipment and supplies in knapsacks that Valen had retrieved from a chest. Beric took a mail coat, the shield and the longsword. Lena also donned a mail coat and bore the warhammer, whilst Kier buckled the two short swords to his belt. Standing outside the tower, Beric turned to Valen who carried a quarterstaff. Are you sure you want to come with us? The mage smiled grimly. There is nothing here for me now. I must honour my master by recovering his spellbook and amulet. Besides, you will need a guide if you are to safely cross the Tainmoor. And we will help you. Well then, let's go. Beric, Lena and Kier set off eastwards. Valen paused for a moment and looked back at the tower. I will avenge you, master. He turned and ran after the others. Thank you for listening to Legend of the Bones. If you like what you've heard, then please consider giving it a five-star review in your podcatcher of choice. Every review helps the show reach new listeners. You can contact me on Twitter at legendbones, email at legendofthebones at gmail.com, or go to legendofthebones.blogspot.com for show notes, character profiles, maps, and more. 
Join me next time to find out what awaits our adventurers as the bones decide their fate. None shall escape the destiny of bone.